This last week, I was, I was reading a devotional, and um, it's by a pastor named Anley Stanley, who's a, he's a pastor I, I follow, and uh, he had a devotional that him and his wife wrote. It's called The Comparison Trap, and, and for me, that's something that, I don't know, this last week, I, I was reading it, and like, it really like, opened my eyes to a lot of uh, the anxiety that I have in my life, or the, the stress that I have in my life, or the worry that I have in my life. And today, what I just want to do is, is share my learnings and, and, and my insights that I gathered from, from them uh, with you guys. But I first want to be really honest with you guys. I think I, I really struggle with, with kind of comparing myself with other people and this tendency that I have to compare myself to other people my age or in my life bracket or, or whatever it is. And, and, and what I'm learning is the more that I talk about this, this tendency to compare myself to other people, I'm learning that I'm not the only one. I think I, I've learned that a lot of us struggle with, with comparing ourselves to, uh, to, other, to other people. In fact, I remember when it all started for me. Um, I was in, uh, in junior high, the good old days of Lexington Junior High. And uh, I wasn't really like super athletic, you know? Like I just didn't, I didn't, wasn't super athletic, wasn't good at football or basketball or whatever it was, or yoga or whatever else is athletic. And, and, uh, and so I kind of grew up kind of like hating all the people that are really good at, athlete, you know, like athletes. I didn't like them. I was like, you guys suck or whatever it is, or you're jocks or, or whatever it was. And I also, um, I, I wasn't really smart, so I hated everyone that had like a 2.5 GPA. That's high, right? Uh, and, and in junior high, I wasn't really super good looking, right? So I hated all like the good looking people, right? And I was like, get the whole world handed to you guys. You suck, right? And the funny thing about all of that is I had a twin sister who was like literally like one of the most athletic people in our entire school. Um, she was, uh, she really had like the best grades. She'd always get like a 4.0. I think she like came out with a 4.0. I'm serious. Um, and, uh, and she had all the guys asking her out. Meanwhile, your boy over here looked like the definition of puberty, right? And... <laughs> <laughs> and looked like I was guessing on all of my tests, and, and, uh, and I had like a fourth grade girl's athletic ability that was blind, right? I, it, was, it sucked at everything. And so long story short is I, I kind of like grew up kind of like hating my sister, having this anger towards my twin sister. And I always felt like God just, just poured out uh, the, the gifting jar on my twin sister and like forgot about me, and he was like, oh crap, like, uh, you know, like, <laughs> you know, like, and I just, got, I just got a little of it, right? And so junior high for me was rough in the streets. There it is, right? So, uh, all right, this one right here, this is me, like, loving life, fifth grade, fifth grade. Oh, no, that's sixth grade. Fifth grade's down here, fifth grade, right? Uh, sixth grade, top right corner, junior high, right? <laughs> junior high was rough for me. And by the way, I think that's one of the reasons I love junior high now uh, is because um, I I, I love the ministry because I know, I know what it's like to be like comparing yourselves and you kind of become socially aware, right? Because in sixth grade or like in, in fifth grade, you're super awkward, right? And you don't really like have this social group that you hang out with and stuff like that. But when you get a little bit older, right, you kind of become cognizant of social pressures and what groups you belong to and what groups you don't belong to. But the good old days of elementary school and PE, everyone kind of kicks it, right? There's not, there's not really this like huge pressure, right? And so for me, junior high was kind of rough because I, I started learning to compare myself to other people. And that was, I think, a really bad thing. But here are my insights from that all. I think it's really easy to hate the people that remind you of all the things that you're not good at, right? And, and, and if you were to ask me, all right, Matt, like, why, why did you grow up like, not liking your twin sister, right? Or why did you have this anger or struggle against, uh, uh, with her? I, I would, I'd probably say, I don't know, she's a brat, which is pretty, pretty true. But I think it was because I was envious of her. And what I'm willing to bet is I'm not the only person here who has felt insignificant before or maybe felt insecure or like I'm just not good enough. 
Many of you may have felt this way kind of growing up with mom and dad, right? Because uh, the pressure to do this or to do that because uh, they wanted you to do something that you just didn't really want to do was to play that sport or to get involved in this club or whatever it is, right? To join choir and you're like, my voice sucks, right? Or whatever it is. And you had all this pressure from mom and dad to perform. Or maybe in high school when you found out that you didn't, you weren't able to go to the four-year university that you wanted to go to because mom and dad couldn't pay for it. You got that letter that said denied or whatever they say. I don't know. But, um, or maybe because you don't, you don't have the job that you think you should have now. So you feel this pressure now. Or maybe because you're not seriously dating or engaged yet. I think we all have these feelings of not, of not measuring up, of not feeling like, you, like you're enough. And, and that's because I think you and I live in the land of Ur, the land of Ur. And, and Andy, this comes from Andy Stanley, and I, and I love the way he, he says this, and, and I have a slide to show you guys. Um, there's always someone with a bigger Ur than you, right? They're, they're richer than you. They're skinnier. They have that waist you want. They're smarter. They're prettier. They're happier. They have more Instagram followers or whatever it is, right? And, and then there's the the flip side of this, right? The other side of this, which is the people who really are like, and there's another slide, they're heavier than you, right? And then they're slower, not just like in the mile, but like they're slower, right? And then they're shorter than you and they're poorer and they have less followers or whatever it is, right? And, and then what does that do? Well, it makes you kind of feel kind of good about yourself, right? And, and deep down, you love that and you kind of hate that, right? That because you have more er than them or than someone else, you feel better about yourself. And that's because when we start to look at these people, and this is a problem because we start to feel superior, and that's a sin. But the thing about this, and, and I think I'm, I so often get in this comparison trap, and I think we all struggle with it, but what I'm learning is it's like an appetite. And the thing about an appetite is it's never really fully satisfied or, or fully finished, right? I mean, the other day, I went to Korean barbecue. You guys ever been to Korean barbecue? I'm a fan of Korean barbecue, right? Like, I love. So I went to Korean barbecue with, with my friend Josh. Josh works in the, uh, the junior high and high school ministries here with me. And, and, uh, and we went there. We made the mistake of ordering all of our food before we got any of the food. So, like, I was starving, right? We were both super hungry and eating hours. And so we just started ordering up. Like, I want this, I want that. And he's, he's Korean, so he was naming it all, right? And, do, 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 do. and we ordered, like, so much food, right? And so it all started getting up. We start cooking it and whatever it is. And by the end of our day, we're like this. You know, like we're sitting back, like lounging, like unbuttoning like button my shirt, right? We're just sitting there and we have like the meat sweats. I feel like a glazed donut from all the grease, right? I'm like, you ever ate so much, like specifically meat, and you're like, <laughs> right? Like, and you get super tired after it or whatever it is. So anyways, uh, we made the mistake of eating so much food. And, and, and what ended up happening is, is we drove home and, and I slept on this couch right here because uh, <laughs> I couldn't do anything. I was, I was like, this is going to be an unproductive day. I'm sitting right there and sleeping for the rest of it. Um, and uh, what do you think happened a few hours later? I, I waddled over to the, to the refrigerator like a penguin, right? Opening it, just staring inside it, going, now what? You know, like hoping that there's going to be one item in there that's going to lob itself into my mouth, right? Because an appetite is never finished, regardless of how much you ate a day ago or a few hours ago, depending on your, uh, on your metabolism or whatever it is, um, it's never finished, right? You always have to keep consuming and things along those lines. And, and the same is with this, this appetite to compare ourselves to other people. So the question we're asking today is what do we do with this, this err, this desire to compare ourselves to other people? So let's talk about it. But the main point, if, if I bore you and you fall asleep, I want you guys to remember this is this. The main point is comparison robs you. I think I have a slide for this. Comparison robs you, right? It robs you from peace. It robs you from stability in your life. It, it robs you from fulfillment and satisfaction and you just being okay with who you are. It robs you. 
There's no model, there's no strategy that you're gonna learn to perfect that will satisfy the comparison appetite with inside you and with inside me. See, going down this path, there's no way to finally arrive and feel like you've quenched the thirst of this craving. And that's a big, big, big deal because let's be honest, honest for a moment. Some of you may have racked up a, a lot in, in credit card debt because you have stared too long at someone else's lifestyle. Probably like keeping up with the idiots or whatever it is. And you got the new Apple Watch, the new iPhone XS that's max, that's $1,500, and you make like 12 pesos a day, right? <laughs> and others of you, others of you have stared so long at the pages of Instagram, and, and ladies, you've compared yourself to these, these girls who in real life don't even look like that, right? They've photoshopped, and, and you've destroyed your self-esteem, or guys, you've looked at the materialistic things of this world or the fit bodies of other guys or at the gym or whatever it is, and you come up feeling like you're just not enough either. I'll give you a silly story from my childhood. So uh, there was a girl I liked back in, uh, in fifth grade. And, um, and my neighbor, Taylor, um, random story. So he fell on a scooter, which is super rad, and, uh, and like cut himself right here. And so the next day at school, uh, um, the girl comes up to, to Taylor and says, oh, that, that's a cool cut. It looks really cool. So I'm like, she likes him. She likes him, right? I'm like, I have to get her to like me, right? So I go home and I get a razor, right? And uh, <laughs> so I'm in the mirror, right? Like looking, I'm like, all right, I got to cut it just like his got cut. Like, and so I make the mistake right, of using my dad's like electric one. And I'm like, okay, I just need a, you know, whatever it is, right? And so I go, and, and, I, and I look back and just, it's gone. <laughs> like half my eyebrows gone, right? So I go to, the next, let's go to school the next day. The girl's like, what the frick's wrong with you? And I was like, <laughs> right? I just want to be cool, right? Uh, <laughs> why don't you like me? Um, right? I was, I was measuring myself to him, right? Thinking, because this girl liked him. So I'm comparing myself, trying to, to measure up to Taylor's eyebrows, right? What the heck? Uh, but I want you to think about this for a sec. Have you ever once gotten that new bag or those new shoes or, or whatever that er is and you've finally been satisfied? No, right? The answer to that is no, because there's always someone with a bigger er than you. Some of you have had this pressure to measure up, like I said, since you were a kid because of your parents. They've compared you to other kids and they want you to do more. And I see this all the time in, in students uh, and parents and students of our, of our youth ministries here. Uh, they're like in 12 different activities and they're playing the violin at like three and like all these just crazy things going on in their lives. And, and, and it's all because the Rossmore mom and the Rossmore dad or whatever it is just wants their kid to be better than their neighbor's kid. And the consequences of that is these kids, they come here and they just never feel like they're enough. And see, some of you feel that pressure and that anxiety right now because you're looking at the people at your current life stage asking, well, how do I measure up? And you're comparing yourself to other people's potential and, and not your own. And the consequence of that is, is you are killing yourself. Because everything you do in school, everything you do in your relationships, everything you do with your job, everything you do with your finances is to measure up and to get more er than other people or than somebody else. I remember interviewing for my, uh, my first job, and it was at PacSun, which is super cool. And... Um, which I hated. God, I hated. Um, first, first off, I don't even really like clothes. My like wife picks out everything for me. I would like come like wearing pink shoes or something. And uh, and so my job was literally for eight hours a day. I had to fold clothes, which was a death wish. And and so I don't even fold my own clothes, right? And so I remember going into my interview and being so nervous, literally being like I was tripping out, right? And here's why: because interviews suck. For 30 minutes, you just have to basically, you're basically proving yourself. You're, you're, an interview is essentially this: let me tell you how I'm worth it. Let me tell you, let me show you my value. And, and, and I'll be honest with you, I don't know what happened and when it happened, 
But now in our world and our culture, it's like we are living in a permanent interview. There's this so much pressure to perform and to, and to excel and succeed and, and whatever it is. And in fact, many of us, we, I think we, we've applied the same mentality to our relationship with God. And it just drains us even more. I have to prove myself to my parents. I have to prove myself to my friends. I have to prove myself to my job, to my school, to my God, and now even on this online world. And this is the reason, by the way, that I think millennials are committing suicide at, at rates significantly higher than other generations. I was reading an article this last week, um, and I have it for you guys. I'll, I'll read a section of it together. And it bummed me out. It, it saddened me. Um, the dreaded good-for-nothing millennials, the constant bane of the older generation, lazy, overeducated, unemployed, Feel good about yourself, right? Millennials seem to be the human trash of today's society. So what's a millennial down in his or her luck to do? Could we, in fact, be seeing an entire generation ready to commit suicide? And is that, in fact, a bad thing? Question mark. In a world that's getting increasingly sucky, it argue that the pressure on millennials to perform and integrate makes suicide downright patriotic. Now, the, the author updated his article actually a few weeks later. And by the way, this is written by a millennial. Well, most of you pretty much figured out that this is a thinly veiled suicide letter and a bunch of you posted the National Suicide Prevention Hotline or otherwise advised me to get help. So that's what I ended up doing. And I've made arrangements to see someone on a semi-regular basis for now. So I guess I'll see how that works out, dot, 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 dot. I read that and I was like, yikes, right? I mean, the, the, the pressure of measuring up, the pressure of living in the land of Ur really has consequences on our value really has consequences that when you look at the mirror, who are you looking back at? Do, do, you, do you really love that person or do you, do you see all your imperfections? And I've used this, this silly example, example before, right? Like, you, like those girls, you have these, I don't know if they're called makeup mirrors, whatever it is, but like they show everything. Like they show like everything, right? Like you've, I remember the first time I looked at one of those things, I lost all self-esteem in myself. I was like, I'm the ugliest thing on earth, right? Like you see like into your soul, right? And I feel like, man, sometimes we are f- too critical on ourselves and it just robs us from being okay with ourselves. I should be over here, I should be doing this, I should be dating, I should be at this school, I should have this GPA, I should, I should be involved in all these extracurricular activities, I should be driving this car, I should be making this amount of money, my parents are telling me this, my friends are telling me this, social media says I should look like this, right? all of these things. And there's so much pressure that's placed on our shoulders. And so here's the reality. Well, well first let me, let me tell you this. I think that you and I, and, and psychologists, studies of psychologists will tell us this, that millennials are the most anxious, worried, and depressed generation of people that there has been. And I think all of that comes from, one, yes, our culture, but two, I think the, the deep root of that is a misplaced identity. And that's what we're going to be talking about really, really next week. But here's the reality. I think we've all been caught in this comparison trap, and there's no winning in it. The game of comparison is one that just robs you. It takes more than it ever gained, puts back in your life. And so listen to what the wisest man ever, King Solomon, had to say about it. He says this in Proverbs 14.30. A heart of peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. See, some of you have rotted away your finances because of envy. Some of you have rotted away your relationships because of envy. Some of you have rotted away your self-esteem because of envy. And see, when you and I give in to comparison, it rots us from the inside out. Solomon also wrote, and I don't have this verse for you, but um, Solomon also wrote in the book of Ecclesiastes 1.14, he says this, I have seen all the things that are done under the sun, all of them meaningless, a chase after the wind. In other words, the the, the chase for the land of Ur and in the land of Ur is meaningless. I mean, think about this. Imagine if you saw somebody running around in the parking lot and you asked, what are you doing? Like, they're chasing the wind. You'd be like, what? True story, Uh, years ago, um, I walked out those back doors over there, 
and bless this little fifth grader, um, he had a slingshot, and I guess he grabbed a bunch of ice cubes um, in, the, uh, in the refrigerator, or freezer, and, uh, and he, he was just aiming up. It was a super hot, sunny day, and he was just shooting them up, at the, up in the air. And so I walked outside, and I opened the door, and I'm like, bro, like, service is starting. Like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm, I'm trying to cool it down. And I was like, okay, thanks. And I just shut the door. I was like, <laughs> I don't know what to do right now. <laughs> like, bless you, right? Uh, <laughs> and so thankfully, Jesus talks about this, not about the sun and cooling us down. He talks about envy. He talks, he addresses this in, in, a, in a parable. And if you've grown up in, in church, chances are you've, you've probably heard the story before. And by the way, a parable, get us on the same page. Parable is a fictitious story Jesus told to illustrate a truth, to tell you and I about something about ourselves, about humankind, about the world, about heaven, about Jesus, about something along those lines. And so everyone in Jesus' audience would have known that when Jesus breaks out into these crazy stories that he called parables, um, that you're supposed to find who you are in the story and you're supposed to find out who God is in the story. And as we journey through this parable, tonight, you'll figure out probably pretty quickly who you are and who God is. And so let's, uh, here's what he taught. And so if you want to follow along with me in your Bibles, um, we're in Matthew 25, um, the parable of the towns. So this is this, verse 14. Again, it will, be like a, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. So this is important. So the wealthy man kind of gathers a meeting with his servants, brings them all in and says, all right, here's what we're going to do. I have a lot of money and I've got so much of it. I want to entrust some of it to you. I'm not giving it to you. I'm loaning the money to you. I'm loaning the wealth to you. And I want you to do with my wealth what you think I would do with my wealth. Verse 15, it says this. To one, he gave five bags of gold. To another, two bags. And to another, one bag. And you go, what? That's not fair. That's not, I mean, what do you mean? Not everyone gets five bags of whatever this is? That, that's, that's, not, that's not fair. And the response would be, yeah, it hasn't been fair really since the Garden of Eden, right? I mean, the world isn't the way God initially wanted it to be. And, and so he says, each according to his ability. And so what's interesting here is some translations say it's gold, some say it's silver, others say it's talents. But what most scholars believe is it's 20 to 25 years of salary. So it's a lot of money, whatever this is. So the verse continues, it says this, then he went on a journey, the master. And the man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. Verse 17, so also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. So these guys had something in common, right? I mean, that is that they knew what to do with what they had. And the guys didn't have the same results, but they did do the very same thing. Verse 18 says this, but the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. So he knew the money wasn't his, right? He was under no confusion that of, of whose resources they actually were. Continues in verse 19. After a long time. Now, if you're familiar with any of Jesus's um, parables, you know that after a long time, sometimes Jesus would say this, and inside the parable it meant after a long time, but outside of the parable it meant like a lifetime, right? When, when someone would die and go on, right? It meant a very, very long time, an entire lifetime. He says this, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. So the master collects everyone and says, all right, I've been, I've been gone for a really, really long time. I want to see what you did with what I gave to you, what I entrusted to you. He was going to see if they were good stewards of, of what was entrusted to them. Verse 20 says, the man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. And I can, I can almost hear the excitement in his voice, like, master, he, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. 
It's, and I almost see like he was waiting in anticipation. He was excited that when the master was going to come and settle accounts, he was going to be excited to show the master what he did with what he was entrusted with. 21 says this, his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things, and I can imagine the whole audience gasping, a few things, 25 years of salary, like what? And he says, You've been faithful to few things. I will put you in charge of many things. And there's another gasp, like, what is many things, you know? Come and share your master's happiness, right? And I, always, I, I find this verse to be so funny. When I was reading it this last week, what came to my mind when it said, you've been faithful to few things, was like when Trump said, like, I was given a small loan of a million dollars. Like, what kind of world do you live in, right? A small loan of a million dollars. Half of you are probably thinking, I barely pay for my books. I get it. Um, verse 22 says this. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, and I think the same anticipation, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. In other words, I did exactly what you were told me to do, or at least what you expected me to do with what you have given me. Verse 23, his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with the few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Now, notice this. He doesn't compare the two guys. He didn't say, all right, dude, the other guy brought 10. You brought four. Why couldn't you be like the five bagger? Why couldn't you be him? Why, why, why didn't you double it in the same way he did, giving me 10? You gave me four, right? And I find that to be really interesting. And, and for the next guy, I almost in my mind like hear like the Jaws theme song or like the Jeopardy, like dun, 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 you know, whatever, like, the, like the lights come down. I almost, I can hear this and see this in the background. In verse 24, it says this. Then the man who had received one bag of gold Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathered where you have not scattered seed. Now notice who he's blaming here. Verse 25 says this. So I was afraid. So in other words, because like you're like this big, scary, meanie dude, I, I hid your money. It's actually not my fault. In fact, if you were, if you were nicer, it's, it, it's your fault. If you weren't the way that you were, I would have been more productive. So he says, so I was afraid, and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. Dot, 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 dot. Verse 26. His master replied, you wicked, in the better, I think, translation from the Greek is the word worthless. So you wicked, you worthless, lazy servant. Now, I want you to pause really quick, because this is the question I paused and asked myself. Do you think if you were to die right now, as gruesome as a thought that really is, this would be God's response on what he's entrusted to you. Have you been lazy or apathetic with God's blessings on your life? Ew. See, the critique wasn't that he was afraid. It was that he was lazy. He was apathetic. He was lethargic. And so the sum of the master's point is that he's essentially saying, you didn't do anything bad with what was entrusted to you. You just didn't do anything at all. Verse 26, it says, So you knew that I harvested where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed. In other words, you knew that I was going to expect something. You knew I entrusted this to you with a purpose. You knew I was coming back and I was going to ask, I was going to ask you these questions. I was going to settle an account. Verse 27, So, well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest, but you were too lazy to even have that type of discernment. You were too lazy to have that type of uh, wisdom. And verse 28 says this, so take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. And so then in the next verse, kind of Jesus gives us the main kind of point of the entire parable. He says this in verse 29. 
For whoever has will be given more, and they will have abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they will, be, will have will be taken from them. In verse 30, and the throw, there's the word worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, if you've been around for church, you hear weeping and gnashing of teeth, what do you think of? You think of hell, right? That, that, yeah, that you, think, you, think, you think of hell. But remember that Jesus is talking inside a parable, right? So if inside the parable, it wouldn't make sense to insert hell, right? It wouldn't make sense to like, all right, throw the dude in hell. And the servants are like looking at each other like, how do how do we do that, right? Like, what, that is, what? like, how do we throw this person in hell? That's not, I think it would be a mistake to think that Jesus in this parable is talking about hell. So here's what I, I think he is talking about. Have you, ever, have you ever wept before? It's not a trick question. The answer is yeah, right? Or have you ever gnashed your teeth before? And so do you know when we gnash our teeth, it's when we are frustrated or we're really um, anxious or we're really angry, Right? It's like, the, it's like, like I, I wish I could have done something different in that situation. I, I wish I, I seized that opportunity when I could have. For me, it was this last December, I had a huge gnashing of a teeth moment. Um, back in 2012, just because I bought like, a, like $20 worth of Bitcoin. You guys probably know what Bitcoin is. But so Bitcoin back in like 2012 was literally worth like 12 cents, right? Uh, a Bitcoin. In December, and I sold them all for a Snickers bar, Right? In December, they were selling for $20,000 a Bitcoin. I, had, I, bought a, I bought 100 of them. I sold them for a Snickers. I was like, I was like, you idiot, right? I was like, stupid, right? Like, I was, I was bummed out. But here's the point, and I have a slide for this. What you have is less important than what you do with what you have. What you have is less important than what you do with what you do have. See, the issue isn't what you start with. The issue isn't how much you have or don't have. The question is this is what are you going to do with what God has entrusted you? What are you going to do with what God has entrusted you? You know, as a kid, I, uh, I very much felt like I, I grew up in the shadow of my, uh, my twin sister. And she'd always, she'd always someone that was just better at, at like everything than me, you know? And uh, school came easier to her. I feel like she was born with a four-point GPA. Um, she, she was always the captains of her sports teams, whatever sports team she went on or whatever it was, cheerleading or whatever it was. And I couldn't even make the teams half the time. She was, she was like the good-looking one. She was the, the, she was the popular one. In fact, and I've shared this story before, if you were to go into my room or her room, if you went into her room back when we were in junior high, what you would have seen was her room littered with trophies, right, of both academic and athletic. And if you walked into mine, you would just see bare green walls. And I was thinking about this last week, and I even remember hearing things like, in the eyes of my dad, I remember him telling me things like, why can't you be more like your sister? Why can't you excel like your sister excels in these areas or whatever it is? And, and I, I feel like my dad very much viewed that I didn't, I didn't really accomplish much with my life. And so I grew up often comparing myself to my sister. And I grew and grew and grew more insecure as the years went on. And so here's what I learned. You undermine your potential by comparing yourself to other people. You put a lid or a cap on your abilities when you look around and ask the question, how do I measure up? And that is because comparison robs you of experiencing peace. That's being okay with yourself. Comparison robs you of experiencing purpose. That's what you have and what you're supposed to be doing with it. And comparison robs you of experiencing fulfillment. That's feeling satisfied with your life. And here's the bottom line. There is no win in the comparison trap. It's a trap that you can't get yourself out of if you stay in it. And so this is what I'm hoping to do over the next few weeks, is to want to internalize this understanding. 
and then take active steps to renew our brain with the power of God's spirit to get out of this comparison trap. Because I think this is an incredibly, I think this is a deeply spiritual issue and it stunts God's further blessing on our lives. And so here's my hope for us as we walk away, or my walk, walk, my walk away point for you guys tonight. When this appetite wells up to compare yourself, to, to take a step back and, and bring your thoughts back into alignment with the understanding that comparison robs you. And it, I don't know what, if, what it is for you. Maybe it's, it's you starting to feel this, this comparison and you're feeling insecure about yourself because you're on Instagram. Then get off Instagram. Or maybe it's, you're just having certain thoughts, so just redirect your thoughts. And so this is going to set, set us up for next week. And so I think it all starts with this question. Who or what am I going to use as my reference point to tell me that I'm okay, that I'm doing all right? Who or what am I going to use as my reference point to tell me that I'm okay, that I'm doing, doing all right? Because here's the reality. I think we all use something. And it could be the very thing giving us life or destroying our self-esteem. And it inhibits us from, it inhibits God from using us in, in some incredible, incredible ways. Let me pray for us. Lord, maybe I'm the only person, God, that deals with this. So much of my life, so much of the anxiety, so much of the worry in my life is because I, I ask the question, how do I measure up? I look at certain people in my life or certain people, God, in my, in my age bracket, and I ask the question, am, am I enough? Am I doing enough? And I think it's because, Lord, we live in this land of Ur where we're all trying to, to achieve and, and be better than somebody else. God, I just, I pray, Father, you continue to show us, Lord God, what it means to have an identity rooted in you, and especially as we talk about that next week. Father, I ask God that you um, give us the eyes, God, to see uh, this question. Who in our life and what is it in our life that we look around and try to deem our, 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 get our value from, Lord? God, as we journey through this series of the next three weeks, I just pray, God, that you can continue to remind us, Lord God, that our value is not found in anything that we do and anything that we are, but because of who you are and, what you, and who you call us. So, Father, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen.